0: Welcome to Heart Church. We believe the Gospel has the power to change your whole life, all your life. We hope you're ready to hear from God and be impacted by this message. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have some fun this evening. Is that okay? What I want to do this evening, if you will allow me, is I want to unapologetically change the way that you think about absolutely everything. Are you with me? Shall we go on a journey together this evening? And so we're going to read a parable. I want to read the parable of the talents. You've probably read, if you've spent any length of time in church before, maybe you've heard many sermons. Even if you have never been to church and this is your first time, I'm sure that most of us are aware and understand this parable of the talents. So we're going to stick this up on the screens and this is what it says. In Matthew chapter 25, it says, Jesus tells this story. He says, For it will be like a man Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Uh, And he would receive the five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, uh, you've delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master says to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I love those words. Enter into the joy of your master. Of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here, I've made two talents more. As master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, you've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent, uh, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered and says, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gathered where I've scattered no seed. And notice that that statement ends with a question mark. Because what I wanna do this evening is I wanna hang a whole sermon On a question mark. You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I've not where I've not sown and gathered where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now listen to this. And cast this worthless servant into outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How about that for good news on a Sunday night? Where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe the original Greek is gnashing. That's how you meant to pronounce it. So here's what we're going to do this evening. I want to, instead of give you a sermon title, I want to pose a question. And I believe um, how you answer this question when you lay your head on the pillow at night will have the most profound effects on how you relate to one another, how you relate to yourself and how how you relate to God. So here's the question I want us to pose and solve this evening. Is life a gift or is life a test is life a gift or is life a test how you answer that question will affect everything in your life is life a gift or is life a test now we are in matthew Chapter 25, so if you know your Bible, you would know that we are right near the end of the Gospel accounts. Uh, There are 46 parables in the New Testament. This is the penultimate parable. This is number 45. And up till this point Uh, Through the Gospels, Jesus has been doing like all of the normal kind of Messiah stuff. He's been, you know, opening blind eyes. He's been healing deaf ears. He has been healing lepers. He has been throwing the largest church picnic of all time, the feeding of the 5,000. And at this point in the Gospels Jesus now has an incredible following he has thousands of people that are following he has a tight group of 12 who have given their life to this and up to this point the disciples and those that are following following Jesus think they know where the story is heading They would assume that Jesus is leading a revolution and he is about to overthrow the Roman Empire. He is about to reinstate the Hebrew nation, the Hebrew people back in power. And so most of the disciples think they are part of a revolution which is about to overturn everything that they see in front of them. Which is no surprise when the the soldiers come and arrest Peter that uh, arrest Jesus. That Peter takes out his sword and removes this guy's ear because this is the way that Peter thinks this is going to unfold. They think this is a a violent revolution. They think that something is about to happen here and now. And up till this point, what happens is Jesus allows the disciples to entertain this idea. But suddenly, in Matthew twenty-five, the whole thing begins to. Tilt. It begins to shift. And Jesus begins to introduce some ideas that are very different to what the disciples think they're a part of. You see, they think that Jesus is going to suddenly come into power in his victory, but actually, Jesus introduces a parable about a master that disappears. He's saying that you think this is going to end with my victory, but actually, this is going to end with my death my burial and my resurrection, this is actually going to end with my, not my presence, but my absence. You see, what Jesus is doing is he is trying to help his disciples and help you and I understand how we are meant to live in Jesus's seemingly absence from the world. And he tells this parable about three dudes and their bags of gold. Now, if you have spent any length of time in church, this is how most of these sermons go about the parable of talents, that you've been given something, so you better do something good with what you've been given, otherwise you're going to get it. Do you know what I mean? Like you've been given some stuff, and so if you do well with what you've been given, you can go to, you get to heaven where there's, you know, there's there's, uh, chubby babies and fluffy clouds. But if you don't do well with what you've been given, then you're going to go somewhere where it's a slightly warmer climate. You know, where only Cats and Chelsea fans belong. Some of you need to write that down. Change teams right now. How many of you know Cats don't belong in heaven, by the way? Come on, come on. This is truth. How many of you know Cats don't go to heaven? Tough crowd. Tough crowd. But this, let's be honest, this is how we've heard the parable of talents that we've been given a gift, we better do something good with what we've been given, otherwise we're gonna get it. But please, friends, is that the best that Jesus can do? Is the best that Jesus can do is to bring a message of do more, try harder, or actually is something far more subversive going on in this parable? Because this parable doesn't begin with a job or a task or even an ultimatum. It it purely begins with gift about a master who apparently just loves to give his stuff away. He gives to one servant five talents, to another two and to the last one. But this was not pocket change. Scholars think that this amount of money probably in today's economy is a multi-million pound gift that he just pours into the laps of servants. So this parable, it doesn't even begin with generosity. It begins actually with irresponsibility. Like you don't give servants all your stuff. Which, by the way, is the Gospel, you know, he actually, this master bypasses his son in this story to give his inheritance to his servants, which is actually our invitation every day of our life that we are, as servants, invited into the inheritance of the son. So this parable is a story of abundance. It's a story about a man. It's the ebulence of a master that just loves to give his stuff away. It's about gift. It's about grace. And risk somehow is hardwired into this because he doesn't tell them what to do. He doesn't give any instruction. There's no handbook talents for dummies. There's there's no kind of Encyclopedia, there's no master plan. He just gives three servants his stuff. There's no plan. There's no guidelines. Apparently, the only thing that these servants are expected to do is participate in what they have been given. Apparently, the only thing these three men were expected to do was to actually receive what was given to them. Now this, I don't know about you, that this actually helps me out. I find this incredibly liberating because I have spent my life trying to find out God's plan. Like, do you know what I mean? As a young 20 20 year old, I was like desperate, God, what's your plan for my life? Uh, You know, let's just think about it for a few moments up till this point in your life, just as a social experiment, if we could just have a raise of hands, whose life up till this point has gone perfectly according to plan? Come on, let's be honest. We're in church. You're not allowed to lie in church. If if there's a guy at the back, yep, we've got one person. Maybe we should get you to come and preach. Up to this point, life has gone perfectly according to plan. What about just this last thirty days? Life has gone according to plan. What, what about this week? Just parents. What about just this morning? Just getting kids out into to church without that heavy laying on of hands. Do you know what I've done? I've decided I'm gonna stop living like life is a plan. I'm gonna start, and I've decided to start living like life is a story. Because the trouble is when you think that life is a plan, you begin to live like life is a tightrope. Do you know, it's like, we can't get one step wrong in one place because we're worried that we're gonna miss out on destiny. So so we end up... being becoming completely uh, almost uh, stalled in where we're at because we don't want to make a wrong decision. But you know, the Bible never makes clear anyway that life is like a tightrope or that our future is, is like a tightrope. Instead, what the Bible says is it uses language like his boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places, which means that life is a lot more like a field to explore than it is a tightrope to walk. Which means even if I put my foot down in wrong places, God somehow is able to orchestrate things in our lives so that all things work together for good. So I've decided to stop living like there's a plan and just think, this is a story. And stories allow for tragedies and triumphs. It's blood, sweat and tears. People can come into the story and people can leave the story. But ultimately this is leading somewhere. And the beautiful thing about a story is that it has far more to do with theme than it does with destination. And I actually think the New Testament, by the way, is far more to do with theme, faith, hope and love than it is with the places that God will take you. So maybe if we would begin to live like life is a story, we would be liberated from the tyranny of thinking that there's just one plan we have to live out. No, there's far more abundance, there's far more grace, there's far more life for every single one of you than living like life is some kind of, some kind of tightrope. Is this okay? So this master gets these three servants together and gives his stuff away. And this is where everything starts to get really kind of cool. Um, because the Bible says that he gives them his property. I love that language. He gives them his property. So I read Matthew 25 and I, I can just feel echoes of Eden through this because this is a story of a master that gives his property or a multi-million pound amount of wealth to these people. He essentially gives these people his estate, these servants, goes away and just asks them to participate in what he's given them. This sounds like Eden sort of stuff, where God just wants Adam and Eve to participate in the ongoing creation of the world to actually extend what is His across the planet to. You see, what you gotta understand about the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter one is that while it was perfect, it wasn't finished. The Garden of Eden was perfect, but it was not finished. What, what God does with Adam and Eve is He gives these, these two people the responsibility to push the Garden of Eden out across the planet. Be fruitful, multiply, take dominion, and fill the earth. You see, their job was always to multiply, to be co-creators in extending this thing. And so we find in Matthew 25 the story of a master that wants these servants to participate. And so I read this parable because remember, we're at the end of the Gospels and I have to ask myself this question. What does God really want? Like what's what's the whole point of all of this? Like is God's vision heaven Or is God's vision earth? Like what's the whole point of it? Is is God's vision there and then, chubby babies and fluffy clouds, or is God's vision here and now? And because here's my question, if God's vision is about getting us into heaven, why are we still here? Like if the only goal was to get us into heaven there and then, why am I un- in Nottingham in 2000? And I love this place, but I would rather be in heaven where only Spurs fans exist. Like if, if the plan was to get us into heaven, why are we, like did, did God fail? Or You see, is the Christian message, is the Gospel there to make us more spiritual or is it in fact there to make us more human? And if so, is the, church, is, is the church God's people rescued from the world? Or in fact, is the church God's people rescued for the world? You see, the most dominant question, if you spent any length of time in church, you'll have heard maybe preachers say, especially when they do the altar call at the end of the service, they'll say things like this, like if you were to die tomorrow, where would you wake? Are you confident that you're gonna go to heaven or are you gonna go to somewhere where there's a slightly warmer climate? Like that's often how we're asked, if you were to die tomorrow, where would you wake? But do you know the more dominant question in the New Testament that the New Testament solves is not if you were to die tomorrow, where would you wake? But if you were to wake tomorrow, what kind of life are you gonna live? Is our vision, is our mission, as a global church to plunder heaven, plunder hell and populate heaven, or in fact is our mission to plunder heaven and to fill earth, like the Lord's Prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? See, this is what's happening in this parable. Jesus is alluding to the fact he's about to go, he's AWOL. He's about to die, he's about to be buried, he's about to uh, resurrect himself, he's about to ascend to heaven and he leaves these three men, his estate, his home, his property to participate in and to create more of. This This is our life. You see, we have to, in many ways, I think a lot of our problem in church life is we've started our story in the wrong place. Often we started our story in Genesis chapter three, which is obviously where Adam and Eve eat of the apple and and sin enters the earth. And obviously sin is incredibly powerful and pervasive and has completely, in many ways, destroyed what society and humanity was meant to look like. But how many of you know you don't start the story In chapter three. How many of you know if you start a story in chapter three, you're going to tell yourself a very different narrative? You start, where do you start a book? You start a book in chapter one. And in chapter one, we actually see and hear of a God who blesses earth and says, This is good. He. He creates giraffes and says, this is good. He creates stars in the sky and says, this is good. He creates Adam and Eve and says, this is good. You see, in Genesis chapter one, where our story starts, here is where the magic happens. Right here, right now, here on earth, in Nottingham 2019, here is where the magic happens. And the gospel is the ongoing affirmation that the world is not beyond repair. Come on, is anyone with me this evening? Does anyone believe that Nottingham is not beyond repair? Come on, if you believe it, let's really give God a big round of applause. See, in Genesis 1, soil and spirit were one. Humanity and the divine were one. This is where... The magic happens. So the Bible starts in Genesis 1 in the garden. If you know your Bible, the end of the Bible ends in the garden. Genesis 1 and 2 is in the garden. Revelation chapter 21 and 22 is actually a new garden coming from heaven to earth. It's a new Jerusalem coming here. Do you know if you were to take out sin out of the whole Bible, the influence and the effect and the presence of sin out of the Bible, do you know you'd be left with Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation chapter 21 and 22? you'd be left with a pamphlet, four chapters. How many of you know, reading the Bible in a year would be a lot easier. (laughs) Like if sin has done anything, it's made reading the Bible really, really difficult. If there was no sin, we'd be able to read the Bible every morning. Just four chapters, it's a pamphlet. You turn the page and you'd be done. There'd be no reason for you version Bible, like reading plans, you'd just be able to read the four chapters and you're done. But the Bible starts in a garden and ends in a garden because God apparently gets what He wants. But in the middle is a story of another garden as Jesus climbs out of the grave with the announcement that a new creation is bursting forth right here, right now in Nottingham 2019. And you know the best news of all? Everybody is invited to participate which is no surprise when Mary runs to the tomb and she sees who she thinks is a gardener. I don't, think she was, I don't think she was wrong at all because Jesus is our gardener. He is cultivating new life here on earth every day that we are alive. Here is where the magic happens. This parable is the story of a master who wants to invite and include servants to participate in what he is doing. I just I find this this parable incredibly liberating. I find it gives me hope for today. I find that it actually gives me some energy for for the cities that we inhabit, to think there's a future, there's a purpose. This thing is not just decaying and disappearing, but actually God has a future and a hope for the city of Nottingham, for the cities that we inhabit, for the towns, for our homes, for our streets, that there is a future, that this world is not beyond repair. Now, you know, this parable, one guy goes off and multiplies his uh, five talents into 10, and to the other guy, Multiplies these five talents into, uh, into these two talents into four, into four, as my maths. And the last guy, the last dude, multiplies one into nothing. Now, I love how this master returns because this master returns. And I don't know how, how you read it, but I just see that this, this master that almost cannot wait to get back because he cannot wait to include these servants in his joy. I mean, the language is so poetic and deep in its meaning. It's it's the master that just, he can't wait to get back. He sees that one guy has turned five talents into 10 and he's just like over the moon ecstatic. Come on, come into my joy. The other guy that's multiplied two into four, he he just cannot wait to include this man in the joy that he is experiencing, which is profound. I hope you understand that joy is the engine of the universe. Joy is the whole reason we're here. Do you know the reason you were born? (laughs) Is because God has joy and wants to include you in it. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, Well, let me explain first because... God is relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in the, when we say in the beginning was God, what we mean is in the beginning was relationship. The reason that God is love is because He exists as three persons. And the Trinity is this total, complete enjoyment between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's this ecstasy of happiness and security and hospitality of one another. It's infinite in its depth of its just love and benevolence and enjoyment and happiness and peace between one another. They are in infinite hospitality of one another as they continue to pour forth in their love for one another father son and holy spirit by the way that's what eternal life is eternal life isn't everlasting life eternal life is the life of god that exists it's that life that flows between father son and holy spirit so when god says he gives you eternal life he doesn't mean that you'll just live forever he means that you get to participate in this thing that this life that god has between father son and holy spirit but the trinity is so is so uh, there's so much of this love and enjoyment that it like it can't contain itself. It's just uncontrollably, uncontainably, just it just needs to break out. And what happens is it breaks out and spills forth, thinking we've got to include other people in this. And so suddenly rushes forth, planet Earth in Genesis chapter one. It's the it's the spilling out of a God that is so happy and so complete in itself that it has to include other people in this life that it's experiencing. That, my friends, is what salvation is, is our inclusion into that life. Let, let, me, let me illustrate this way. If, um, is it the Tr- River Trent? So imagine me and Lawrence. We, it's a beautiful um, May evening and we go for a stroll along the River Trent. We're just musing, just chatting. It's a beautiful night as the sun begins to set over the River Trent. I'm not sure why Lawrence is with me and not my wife. <laughs> but I've committed to the illustration, so we're gonna roll with this. I do love Lawrence though. So we're like, <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> We're holding hands then. So we're standing at a distance and we're walking. <laughs> and we're, we're like, just, we're talking when the sun is setting and a you just watched a few of those water rats just just elegantly slide down into the, into the water. And if I was to turn to Lawrence and say, Lawrence, as I look into his eyes, Again, I should probably exchange a story for Beth. If I was to look into Lawrence's eyes and say, Lawrence, how how beautiful is this moment? (laughs) No, I am going somewhere. I know it's slightly awkward at the moment. But if I was to turn to Lawrence and say, how beautiful is this moment? What I'm not doing, I'm not asking Lawrence for, for a response, all I'm doing is I am extending an invitation for him to participate in the joy that I am experiencing in this moment. It's the same way parents in the house, if you have kids here, there is nothing more of more value and joy to you than watching somebody else Bend down and play with your kids with laughter on their face. Why? You, you, you are transfixed with this moment. Why? Because even at a distance, you are watching somebody else take joy in what makes you most happy. That, my friends, is the whole reason we are here. This is the whole reason for life it's the whole reason for humanity. It's the whole reason for you. You, your life is, a very inv- is the very invitation, the ongoing invitation to participate in what makes God most happy. And what makes God most happy is of infinite supply to every single one of us. God, a joy makes the world spin. On its axis. It's like when kids, you know, when if you've got kids again, you know, when kids, where do kids climb into bed? It's a, it's a, it's a Sunday morning. You are obviously going to come to church for the first service, but before that, you have a brief lie in. Where do kids climb when they climb into bed? They don't climb into the side. They climb over, normally me, the dad, and they want to climb into the middle of the bed. Why? Because they know that it's in between the parents. That's where they know the most warmth, tenderness, joy, and love happens. It's like, it's tangible, it's not spoken, but there's something about being in between that makes the child feel happy and secure. And that, my friends, is exactly what salvation is it's about being invited into a life between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Now I don't know about you but that sounds like a good gospel to me and that sounds like the kind of life I want to live to participate in what makes God most happy. Are you with me? Okay so let's get the keys up and we'll call down the dove from above. So here we go, we've got eight minutes on the clock. We're gonna go somewhere really, really quickly because how many of you know that the master doesn't just end with these two dudes? He does come and the last guy has buried his last his talent in the ground. Because you and I know that this parable doesn't end all that well. It ends with weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you remember your original Greek scholarly lectures at the beginning of this sermon, it ends with grief and sorrow. Two guys get this so right, but this last man has buried his talent in the ground. And the master comes and says, to the first guy enter into my joy, the second guy enter into my joy. The last guy says, I knew you to be a hard man. Weeping, uh, sorry, gathering where you've scattered no seed and, and harvesting, he says, I knew you to be a hard man. And the master replies to him and says, you knew me to be a hard man? Question mark. You knew me to be a hard man. Like I read this parable and I think how Could you get this so unbelievably wrong? Like it starts with your Master bypassing His Son to give you His stuff. It starts with irresponsible generosity. And it ends with Him skipping and laughing and including people in His happiness and His joy. And you knew Him to be a hard man. Like how could you get this so unbelievably wrong? Are you, are you blind to the story that is unravelling in front of you? Like what, where have you been? He has given you so much and yet you have mistook his nature. And sadly, this third man represents so many people that we we bump into every day of our life. Sadly, this third man represents so many people that even sit in our churches. This man represents people that reduce God down to the size of their own fears. This man has to refuse, has refused to trust in the story that is unravelling in front of him and has reduced his master down to a mere reflection of himself. He could not trust that God would be this good. He could not trust that this master would be this kind. He's thinking there must be something manipulative or there must be something coercive going on here. He cannot really be a master that just wants to give us his stuff and then invite us into his joy. And this parable is a, is a desperate plea that in 2019, you would abandon your cynical ways of, and views of who God is. The fear of this parable, the stark reality of this parable is that God will allow us to live in the stories that we tell ourselves. The stark reality of this parable is that God will allow us to live in the paradigms that we create. But it's also underneath it, it's a desperate plea. It's a, it's a, it's a shake. Do not live like the third man. You knew God to be a hard man. Why would you think that God is a hard man, look at this life that we have been given. Look at this world that has been created. Look at what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do in your life. And you question the nature of God. So is life a gift or is life a test? Apparently this parable says you choose. You can live like life is a test. You can live like God is a hard man. And sadly, because God honours our free will so much, He will allow us to participate in the story that we tell ourselves. But listen to me Heart Church, abandon your small views of God, abandon your cynical views of how God works in your life and decide to tell yourself a different story and live in the ambulance of a God that loves to give His joy, His love, His laughter away to every single one of us. Is life a gift or is life a test? You choose. Is the universal glass half empty or is the universal glass half full? Is life rigged in your favour or is life rigged against you? You choose, you choose, you choose. God has empowered you to choose the story that you will tell yourself. Is life a gift or is life a test? I'm here to tell you that life is a gift. And everybody said. So with two minutes, 17 seconds left, I've got three points. If you wanna live like life is a gift, number one, real simple, just live. Just get on with life. Just live your life. Let me illustrate it this way. Some of you have Yankee candles in your lounge that you've had since 2003. You're like waiting for the perfect night in where your husband hasn't annoyed you one bit, which will happen never. I know, because I'm married to a woman, I know that every day I annoy her. You're waiting for the pillows to be perfectly fluffed. You're waiting for the perfect night in. Go home tonight and light the candle. Because there is no night more perfect than right now. This moment right now is full of life and abundance and the generative life of God in this moment. What are you waiting for? Some of you have wedding plates and wedding coloury. You got married in 1966 and you've never used them. Go home, get a chicken tikka masala, get out your wedding plates and just slop it out. Don't, just don't even use, no, just use your hands. Just just. Just live. Let's be a church that lives. Number 2. Number 2 give. Live. Number 1 get live. Number 2 give. Generosity makes the world spin on its axis. It makes the world go round. It's the very story of this parable. It's the very story of the Gospel. It's the very story of life. Just give, just give, just give. Just live a life that just continues to give. Some of you need to give your jacket away this evening. Some of you need to give a car away. Some of you need to give some finance away. Some of you need to find uh, your nearest new church planter that's launching out somewhere and just... (laughs) I set the whole sermon up for that moment right there. Just give, live, give, number three. With 10 seconds left, just laugh. Just, just laugh, just, just let your shoulders just go now. Come on, just, 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 just laugh, just laugh. I've decided when I get to Philadelphia, I am gonna be the easiest person in my city to make laugh. I mean how difficult is it having conversations with people that you're just trying to just squeeze a smile out of just I don't even care if your joke's not funny I'm going to laugh like it's the funniest thing I've ever heard just laugh some of you need to go home tonight wake your children up and tickle them until they vomit everywhere I don't care if they're 33 years of age just just fill your house with laughter, Do you know what will bring the city of Nottingham to this church? It's not necessarily the sound of worship. It's the sound of joy and laughter and life that spills out into this street. Is life a gift or is life a test? You choose, but I have a feeling I'm amongst friends this evening and we're gonna live like life is a gift. That life is a gift. It's abundance poured into our laps. Come on, just drop your... Bibles, your notebooks, your neighbor's hand. Come on, let's lift our hands to heaven right now in your seats, just with your head. With. Father, I announce a spirit of joy to hit this house. A spirit of joy, a spirit of laughter, a spirit of contentment. May we be families, may we be marriages, may we be a community of followers of Jesus that are filled with the abundance of heaven in our hearts. Let us not live with a mean spirit and a cynical view of You, but we decide to abandon the life from hell that this is a test. Listen, you're not being tested. You are not being tested. This you have been swept up in a story of a master that wants to invite you into his property and to extend what he is doing. So I pray now in the Name of Jesus for a spirit of liberty and a spirit of freedom and for a spirit of laughter to fill this house. We decide, we make a decision right now at Heart Church. We're gonna live like life is a gift and we are gonna live it to the fullness in Jesus' mighty Name. And everybody said, Come on, if you believe in us stand to our feet right now, just for 30 seconds. You've come to the end of this message. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Stay up to date with everything going on in the life of our church by checking out our social media. Just search Heart Church UK.